What a joy it is to be assembled together. Thank you, Brother Adam, and leading us in that singing. I believe that God's people really love God, and they sing from the bottom of their hearts. They want to blend their voices together, and I believe tonight is no exception. Last week, I told a joke. I was holding a meeting in Portland, Tennessee, and uh, I was telling a joke. And I'll tell it again tonight. I know two jokes. I told one last night, so I don't know what you're going to do about tomorrow night. But I was, I was talking about over in Portland about a fellow was preaching one night, and it was a packed house. He said he was up preaching on Revelation 2.12, and he just could not remember. He said, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. And about the third time, he fell over in the lady's lap, and he said, Ma'am, I'm so sorry. And she said, Well, you warned me twice. But what's interesting about that is there was a guy that was there that night. He said, you said that for a joke, but he was in Florida. I believe he said at West Palm Beach or somewhere down there, and a guy actually fell in the baptistry. And uh, I said, well, that's a good, you know, illustrating your point anyway, but maybe that won't happen tonight. It is a pleasure to be here. Last evening I got uh, mixed reactions. Some folks said the lesson was real deep. Some folks said that uh, they didn't realize that. It shocked them about Islam. Uh, other folks said uh, you need to pour it on them even more. So I do not want to be unkind. Don't want in any way to uh, let folks think that we hate anyone. We're interested in the salvation of all men's souls and women's souls. We want every person to go to heaven and be with Jesus. Someone did come up to me last night, and I had forgotten that, uh, and told me that there is a, uh, a Islam an Arabic uh, student center here in Cookville, and I was told one place that I went to do this presentation, uh, he was a building contractor, that he'd actually been notified by some folks that were trying to build a mosque here in, in Cookville. I do not believe in being unkind. I do not believe that we, and I'm going to talk about some things tonight that's very hard, hard for us to understand why people believe what they do, but I, I think we ought to be very careful. I was uh, doing this lecture right outside of Dearborn, Michigan at the Garden City Church. And uh, not too far from uh, Garden City is Dearborn, largest population of Muslims in uh, North America. And a uh, matter of fact, a fellow that goes to India with me, Mike Pickett, lives in Dearborn. We were at his house. And he said, Jack, he said, I watched a fellow named Terry Jones, you probably remember that, from Florida, who went up to, uh, was going to try to, I guess, pick a fight. And he did. But he actually burned the Koran. And they were about to kill that man. I, I'm not, uh, I don't think that's the way that you withstand error. I have been convinced that you fight error with truth. You always do that. And I believe there's enough evidence, as we'll look at tonight, that, friends, what we're doing, what we're participating in, in our study of our Bibles, that you cannot lose. You'll always win because truth has nothing to fear. When I had to debate in 1998 with a denominational preacher in Macon County, he told me, he said, you've got an advantage on me before we ever started. We met on one of the elders with him. We met on Thursday night. Debate was on Friday and Saturday. He said, you've already got an advantage on me. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you're just going to use all, all the Bible. And uh, he said, and you might even throw in a little bit of camelism there. But he said, you know what I'm going to have to talk about is just what I know in my heart. Friends, on the day of judgment, what you know in your heart, if it's not 
measuring up with a thus saith the Lord, you will not go to heaven and be with God. Now, I want to look at tonight the Bible versus the Koran. Like any creed book, like any book that is religious in nature, if it is not uh, the same as the Bible, and as Brother Keeble used to say, if it's not the same as the Bible, if it contains too much, it contains too much to be the Word of God. If it contains too less, then it's not the Word of God. If it contains the same, you don't need it, just use the Bible. Well, I'm going to show you tonight the Koran. I don't have time to... I, I had a bunch of slides and I had to take them out this afternoon, but I've got enough that I will be able to show you the inconsistencies, the contradictions between the Koran and the Bible. Now, there are about four or five different uh, revisions of the Koran. I've got one here. I, I've got another one at home that is much better than this. But what I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to give you some quotations from this book. I'm going to tell you how this book came in, uh, the origin of it, how we've got where we are today. Tomorrow evening, if you'll come back, we're going to look at Jesus versus Mohammed. I did the same lesson at All Good. Not the same lesson. I'm going to add a little bit to it, but about three weeks ago. Now, what I want you to do tonight, I just want you to, uh, if you want to write this down, you can. But I can send this to you in PDF. Someone says, uh, I don't have PowerPoint. How can I get that? If you'll give me your email address, just give it to me, and I'll send it to you in PDF form. Now, I want you to notice, as we're talking tonight, we're talking about the Holy Book of God. There's not a person in this assembly tonight, probably, that uh, doesn't love the Bible. We love the Bible. We sing songs about how beautiful the Bible, that precious book, book divine. Friends, the Bible, if you'll notice the origin of the Bible, we're going to talk about that tonight, versus the origin of the Koran, you'll notice that it was written uh, by about 40 different writers over about 1,500 to 1,600 years, three languages, and that is Hebrew, Greek and Aramaic. No contradictions in the Bible whatsoever. You know, matter of fact, it has been tried and tested by modernists and skeptics through the years and to no avail. You know, the Bible says that no prophecy came in old time by the will of man, but that holy men of God spake as they were moved or born along by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is a result of God speaking through men through the transmission of the Holy Spirit, and we've got the Word of God. Friends, it contains all truth. There are no mistakes in the Bible. As a matter of fact, at least two times in your New Testament, Titus 1 verse 2, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 18, that God cannot lie. God cannot lie. It's not within the realm of possibility that our God could reveal a lie. If one thing in the Bible is a lie, it's all a lie. If there is a contradiction in the holy book of God, then uh, it's all a big contradiction. It's just a lie. That's all, it, all you can say. Now, I want you to notice also uh, what Paul said in Galatians 1. You know when he said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him? to another gospel, which there's not another. But there would be some that would trouble you and pervert the gospel. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, then let him be a curse. Let him be anathema. Let him be cut off. Now, you remember that verse because that's the basis of where you get to Koran tonight. was through Gabriel. I don't want to be unkind, but I'm going to be right to the point. Friends, anything that comes from God cannot contain error. 
If it came and God used Gabriel to reveal a message to mankind, then it cannot be in contradiction or inconsistent with what God has already revealed. Now, notice the Quran states. The Quran, I told you yesterday that the word Islam means uh, submission, submission to Allah. The Quran literally means uh, recitation. It's a big thing. And I talked to you about the prayer last night. The five uh, things uh, of Islam. One of them is the prayer, recitation. One author, over 20 years in Arabic. And one of the things that you have to say is, Oh, Muhammad, you are Allah's messenger and I am Gabriel. That is what uh, Muhammad said that he got in a cave. At 40 years old, he was asleep in the cave says that uh, Gabriel said to him, I've got a message for you from Allah. There are 114 series in uh, the Quran. Now, that would be equivalent to 114 chapters. So what I'm going to do tonight, instead of going to all the trouble and saying it's in uh, Surrey, so and so, I'm just going to refer to the, the chapter itself. And again, you're going to see a lot of quotation. Friends, from the very outset, if that's all we knew about the Koran, how it got started, or the Islam religion, that would be enough to prove to me that it's false. But that's not enough if you're trying to study with someone and teach someone. So, let's notice. Tradition asserts that at the end of three years, he had no more than 40 followers. This is in their... Uh, in the Hadith and the Briquette and some other traditional books that they hold very near and dear to their heart. And uh, most of those were members of his own household. Now listen to this. He survived an assassination, an attempt, and eventually became, began to accumulate followers who were willing to fight. And from the time of their first military endeavor onward, Muhammad's religion was spread by the sword. Friends, God never intended for us to win souls to him by using a sword. Well, not a literal sword. Hebrews 4.12, that would be uh, the word of God. Sharper and powerful than any two-edged sword. Now, notice, the Muslim group, this is some things that really, really bothers me. Our government is trying to appease because we live in the great United States of America. I am in favor of freedom of religion, brethren. I do not agree that we ought to have a state religion. Neither would you because you wouldn't agree with a state religion. I believe in the great freedom of America. That's what makes us special and unique. Every time I go to India, I am thrilled to be able to come back to America. I love America. But notice this. There is a Muslim group giving 100,000 Korans to elected officials on the premise that nothing makes a better gift than a, a good book. A Muslim civil liberty group is launching a campaign to hand out 100,000 Korans of this very expensive Arabic-English copy to, English, uh, to elected officials and influential policymakers. Those books cost $49 each. Not one like that. Very elaborate. Now, why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Well, I'll tell you why they're doing that. Because our government is more favorable toward Islamic religion than ever before. This is not a political speech. I'm not into politics. I am a man that believes in preaching and teaching the Word of God. Everything about my life should be, uh, religion should be a part of it. But did you know that Keith Ellison, the first Muslim elected to the United States Congress, took his oath 
of office, not on the Bible, but on the Koran. You didn't know that, did you? You won't read that on, you'll never see that on national news. That was in 2007. Now, I will be honest here and not misrepresent anything, but you'll notice on the bottom is the Bible. But he refused to take it just on the Bible. He had to have the Koran on top of the Bible. And because we are the great United States of America, we thought that was okay. I told you yesterday in Putnam County, Tennessee, there are special rooms for children that are Muslims that they can go pray three times a day. They pray five times a day, but three times a day. What about Christians? Don't we have a place that we can go pray? No. It's not that I want to be unkind to them. It's not that I want to be mean to them. But what I'm saying is, brethren, let's not persecute Christians, try to appease someone else. That's not what we ought to be doing. Look at the words of the Quran. And that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to take the Bible, and I'm going to take the Quran, and you're just going to have to take my word for it. Someone asked me last night, what books do I recommend? Well, I recommend this book, the Bible. But if you want to learn about a lot about Islam, I've got about eight or ten at home. I'll let you borrow one. But if you want to go to Books A Million, that guy right there used to be a Muslim. He is converted uh, to uh, Christianity, not uh, necessarily a member of the church, but you're talking about a former radical Shiite Muslim speaks out. And I'm telling you right now, if you had hair on your head, it'd make it stand up. It is alarming. And I believe that he hits the nail on the head. Now, what I want to do, I want you to look now at the Quran. Look at what the Quran says. Surah 2838 says that Pharaoh built the Tower of Babel in Egypt. Hmm. Casual Bible reader, you don't have to be very intelligent to know that according to Genesis chapter 11, it was built in the Middle East. It wasn't built in Egypt. Now somebody says, well, what difference does that really make? If it contains one contradiction one inconsistency, then it can't be true. And friends, that's the premises on which we believe the Bible. We know it. It's all truth. When I studied the Bible with someone, there are some things that we can disagree on, but there are some things that you cannot disagree and go to heaven. And I talked about that last night, about Jesus Christ being the Savior of this world. That's not up to debate. That's not up for you to decide whether uh, you agree with that or not. If you want to go to heaven, you will agree with it. Period. Point blank. Not only that, notice this. One of Noah's sons refused to enter the ark and was drowned. In the Quran, 11, Surah 11, 42 and 43. Remember I told you I was, every now and then I get on an airplane going to India. I've been 23 times. Every now and then they put me between two fellows and oftentimes they're, they're Muslims and I ask them about Islam. And I ask them, is that true? I said, it, it, does the Quran say? Yes, but you know, you've got to realize now, this, this, this Mohammed was in a cave and he was real sleepy and when Gabriel gave those, uh, all of that, he may not remembered everything just right. So you're saying that, you're saying that he is not correct. And what he said, well, he said he may not have it all just right. But he said, what difference does that make? What are we going to argue about that? I said, would you agree if he got that wrong, there's other things that he could have gotten wrong? You better believe that there is. Because Genesis 7 said, Noah and his three sons entered the ark. I'm going to believe what the Bible says, aren't you? And his families? What the Bible says. Let's just do what the Bible... As a matter of fact, all he had to do was just read the book of Genesis and copy like he did some other things, and he'd been all right. But he didn't do that. Now, notice... A 
You know, when, uh, in Surrey 96 verse 2, it says that God created man out of a mere clot of congealed blood. Congealed blood. Blood clot cannot grow anything. And did you know the Greek Aristotle erroneously believed the same thing? As smart as Aristotle was, Aristotle believed, and a lot of the Greeks believed, that how man came into being was just a blood clot. And a blood clot was congealed and man came into being. Absolutely formed. Friends, the Bible says that God spoke and everything came into existence in six days. From day one to day two was a 24-hour time period. The Hebrew word yom, every time that it's used except a couple of times in the Holy Bible, always refers to day and night yom, 24-hour period. Not millions and millions of years. And therefore, when God spoke, He spoke everything into existence, and then on the seventh day God rested. Not because He was tired, but because I think He set an example for us. Now, does that make any difference? Well, I'll leave that up to you. Did you know that Muslims believe in the Koran that it reveals that God actually created the earth before he did the heaven? As a matter of fact, in 2.29, there's a contradiction between those two verses. In Surrey 2.29, it says, And it is he who created for you all things that are on earth. Then he turned out to the heaven and made them into seven, seven firmaments, seven skies. But in 79, in verses 27 through 30, notice what else he said. And he spread and he flattened the earth. He made the dark thereof and he made the fourth morning. And after that, he spread the earth. Wait just a minute. The Koran says one place that he created the earth first, and then another place it said he created heaven first. Well, let me ask you a question. What does the Bible say? Did it not say that God allowed his son to come from heaven, came down here and walked among men? That God created the heavens and the earth. Friends, God has always been. John 4, 24, God's spirit. He wasn't a created being. And part of the Godhead that we're going to talk about tonight, you talking about something that they miss, they miss the Godhead. And the Jehovah Witnesses that go door to door, to they miss it too. So we're going to look at that tonight and, and say, look at the words of the Koran. Jesus was born under a palm tree. I ask them, is that true? Well, what difference does it make whether he's born under a palm tree or not? Well, I'm, I'm just trying to... You know, I'm, I'm trying to set the stage here that if he got that wrong, and he did get that wrong because Luke 2, 7 said he was born in a stable. I believe what God says. Notice what it says. There, there is no Godhead. Surrey 5, verse 76. I'm going to show you some verses that's in the Koran that will absolutely throw you for a loop. I want you to give it to you. Now, here is the biblical trinity. Some folks believe in the Trinity that don't have the right concept of the Trinity. There are not three gods. Okay? There is one Godhead, three manifestations of that one God. Let me give you illustrate it like this. Tom Holland did this when I was in school many, many years ago. He said, if you take a pan of water, you turn the stove on, he said, what happens? He said, you've got water in the pot, then you've got steam. He said, are they two different components? Yes and no. Two yes and no. Still water, but in a different mode. Different manifestation of it. And he said, that's the way the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ and the Father is. God is. Matter of fact, let me just go and, and develop that a little bit more. 
In the scriptures, the three sacred persons in a certain sin, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, James 2 19 says there's only one God. Okay? And they are all one in nature. Each shares the essence of deity. The Father is God, Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Father is the Son. The Father is God. Jesus Christ, the Son, is God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the Father. Verse 14, and the Holy Spirit likewise. In uh, Acts 5, verses 3 and 4, when Ananias lied, you remember they brought the, uh, they sold the portion of the land, they brought the money to the apostles, and you know what the Bible says in verse 4? Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? See, when you lie to God, one, one uh, verse 3 says God, verse 4 says the Holy Spirit. You see, brethren, you cannot divide the Godhead. There's a big argument, even in the church. You know, a lot of misunderstanding about the Godhead. Some folks believe that uh, in the Trinity, to the point that they believe that there are three different gods. Friends, the Father never left heaven to come to this earth. But Jesus did. The Son did. The Holy Spirit, when John 13, 14, 15, and 16, when Jesus said, I'm going to go away, go back to the Father, but you're going to receive power from on high. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and it will guide you into all truth. What do you have? You have the manifestation of the Father, God, of Jesus Christ, God, and the Son, God. Now let me show you what... Uh, any person who subscribes to the notion that the Son nor the Spirit in nature is seriously mistaken. The Watchtower cult, for one example, is guilty of this error. I, I well, I guess we could say disgust. We discussed for a rather long time. Of not too long ago, a lady was telling me, she said, uh, I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? She said, not like you do. I said, well, you don't really know how I believe it. I hadn't told you yet. I said, you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yeah, yeah, he was the Son of God, but he was created by God. Friends, the Bible teaches us that Jesus had a dual being, that he was both man and God, Philippians 2 and verse 6. He thought it not robbery. Who thought it not robbery to be equal with God? He was equal with God. He, he emptied himself. He came from heaven and he walked among men and he was killed, crucified for our sins. You can ask any Muslim and what they will tell you, and I'll develop it a little bit more in just a minute and show you what I'm talking about. Islam is a monotheistic. In other words, they would argue about polytheism, pantheism, that is, the different gods, and I would too. They're exactly right. I told you last night that Mohammed actually, because of the environment, uh, the spiritual environment at that time, there was so much paganism that he was going to try to get people away from paganism. So he started out doing right. But what happened? He says, I bear witness that there is no God but the Almighty God and that Mohammed is a messenger of God. Look at what he says in Surrey. 1653, for God has said, take not to yourselves two gods, for he is one God. Well, is that enough? Look at what he says in Surrey 451. He says, verily God will not forgive the union of other gods with himself. In other words, there cannot be any more but just uh, God, period. 
Look at this one. Islam rejects the concept of the Trinity. The Koran misrepresents the teachings of Christianity regarding the Godhead, claiming Jesus that Christians believe three gods. This Muslim said that if you're a Christian, you believe in the Father, the Mother, and the Son. We're in the world. I said, where have you been reading? Oh, he said, that's what they... I said, you know more about what I believe than I do because I've never believed in the Father and the Mother. I said, you must be talking about the Catholics. I don't believe that. I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. Let me tell you why they have to reject that. Friends, if they reject that, then they would have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world if He is the Son of God. John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God, which came to take away the sins of the world. And if He's the Son of God, and if He emptied Himself from the glory of heaven, came and walked among men, then they would have to reject Mohammed because Jesus would fulfill the very mission that God gave Him to fulfill. And that was to save mankind. But they don't believe that Jesus was the last. They believe he was a good man, he was a prophet, but he was not the last prophet, that Mohammed was the last prophet. And we'll go into detail tomorrow evening on that, proving that wrong. But what I want to show you tonight is part of the Christian faith, the foundation of our belief is that we know that Jesus is deity. And I appreciate the fact that what Jesus, when he came to this earth, he came as God. If you want to know what God looked like, look at Jesus. He's still in heaven, though. The Father is. You see, there are people here in Cookville, Tennessee, that believe in the Trinity. They believe that there are three different gods. And that is absolutely uh, wrong. Islam considers Jesus a prophet, like Moses and Abraham and Noah. Mohammed and uh, the Arabs are descendants of Ishmael. You remember I talked about last night in, in Genesis 16, verses 12 and 13, what he says about Ishmael, what God said about Ishmael? Born from Hagar, not the promised seed, not the promised son. That's Isaac. But they believe because he was the first child uh, that he would supersede the Israelite nation. That's the reason they hate Jews. They absolutely hate a Jew. They reject the divinity of Jesus. Look at Surrey 4, 171. The Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than Allah's apostle. Did you hear that? The word apostle means one sin. They believe that Jesus was no more than Allah's apostle. In his word which he cast to Mary, a spirit from him, so believe in Allah and his apostles, and do not say three, but just say God. Well, the Bible says that he is. God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with us, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friends, if Jesus Christ is no more than an apostle, you can take this book right here, throw it in a river, and live any way you want to. We don't have any hope. Titus 1 2, Hebrews 6 18 says, God can't lie. A Muslim, a, if you are a Muslim, you can't go to heaven. Hope you're not offended by that. It's what Jesus said, John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. Did Jesus not say that? My friends, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as the Christ, the Son of God, you can't go to heaven. The only way you can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ and by His authority. Hmm. Got kind of quiet. But notice here, I'm not being unkind. I'm stating the facts. Look at what he says in Surrey 5, 114. Then Allah will say, the son of Mary, did you ever say to mankind, worship me and my mother as gods beside Allah? Friends, God didn't want us. The Bible doesn't say that. 
say that we're supposed to worship Mary. Mary was only the earthly mother of Jesus, but she, Jesus was conceived. She was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It was a miraculous birth. And when I told that, that uh, fellow that was sitting beside me, he said, do you really believe that? I said, Isaiah 7, 14 says, she shall be, shall be born of a virgin. He said, if you believe that, he said, you, you, just, you need some learning. He said, nobody, that's never, ever could happen. No, it can't with man, but it did happen with God. You see, friends, how when you start leaving the truth of the Word of God where it takes you, how inconsistent it can be. Look at what he says here. Jesus was more than a prophet. He was God. In Matthew 17 and verse number 5. Remember the transfiguration in John 17? I used that last night. When you get to Matthew 17 and verse 5, it's kind of interesting of what, what, what is said about God. And if you especially go to, and I alluded to that in Philippians 2 verse 6, God who thought it not, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What does it mean to be equal with God? What does it mean to be equal with God? Jesus was equal with God. He was more than a prophet. Was he a prophet? Yes. He was that prophet in Deuteronomy 18 that was going to come after Moses that was mightier than Moses. But he was more than a prophet. He was God in the flesh, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. They do not believe that. Not only that, he claimed to be God. And he accepted worship. Matthew, 18, uh, Matthew 8 verse 2 says they came to Jesus and they worshipped him. And you look at all those scriptures. I don't have time to get on all those tonight. But you talk, he accepted worship. How can he, if he's not deity, accept worship? Only deity accepts worship. He accepted worship. It says that he accepted worship. Now, if he accepted worship and he's deity and he's he who, said, who God says he is, and by the way, he is, then this right here is totally false. I went to Books A Million to buy one of these and buy some stuff, and the lady, I hope the manager of Books A Million is not here tonight, but I called him off to, and she called me offside, and she said, are you trying to get into that? I said, no, I'm studying it. She said, you, 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 you do know. She said, don't, uh, I, I could get in trouble for this, but she said, you do know that uh, that contains a lot of mistakes. I said, yeah, I know. I, I'm just wanting to get it where I can allude to it. I said, do you sell very many of these? I said, do you sell? She said, yeah. She said, that book right there, we can't keep it on the bottom shelf. We can't keep it on the shelf sometimes because the Muslims come over here and try to destroy it. They hate it. And she said, there was a lot of things that were written on some of our Korans that said, uh, down to Christians, down to Christians, and even some bad words. Friends, it's right here in Cookville, Tennessee. How much do you know about it? How can you refute it? Are we going to keep our heads buried in the sand like we've done on so many other issues? I said this last night. Denominational folks have been way ahead of us. And we sit back and we say, well, we don't want to get involved in any of that. Somebody else will fight our wars for us. And it's our, and I, I'm not just concerned about national security, but I'm concerned about the souls of mankind. Because a lot of young people are dabbling. When I was a, uh, spoke on... Uh, 
Anton LaVey and the satanic religion and the church of Satan many, many years ago. We called them dabblers. They were dabblers. Friends, you know there are people that are dab young people that's actually trying to get a Koran and just check it out and to see. Let's go on. He forgave sins. The Koran called the Book of Heaven, supposedly dictated by Mohammed, uh, by Angel Gabriel. You know I could say the same thing? I could say I was down there at Gainesburg and I was in a cave and, you know, I got a, I had a dream and a vision and, uh, man, I got this dream and it said for me to start this. And, do, and you know, somebody buy into that. That'd be a bunch of honeycutites for long. That'd be hard to spell, wouldn't it? Notice this. You can see un the unbridled, raw evil, such as statements like these. Truly God, now notice this, N truly God loves those who fight. Fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them and seize them, beleaguer them, and lie in wait for them in every straggle. You know what he says? In the Koran, matter of fact, I want to look at this. He says, chop off their hands. And chop off their fingertips when you meet the unbelievers. Chop off their heads. By the way, the unbelievers, you. Anybody that's non-Muslim, you are the unbelievers. You don't have to worry about that in Cookville, Tennessee. They're in the minority. But you go as they are right now in Nigeria where I think it's 130 girls are missing. You go to Egypt. You go to India and some of the villages where we've been that it's too, too dangerous to go now because of Muslim. That's a very peaceful, that's a very peaceful way of doing things, isn't it? Friends, I'm here to tell you, this is what you find in the Koran. Take neither Jew nor Christians for your friends. Fight them until Islam reigns supreme throughout the world. There are more than 100 verses in the Koran advocating the use of violence to spread Islam. There are exactly 120 verses in the Koran about killing and fighting. And Jesus said, turn to the other cheek. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. Pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you and say all manner of evil falsely for my name's sake. You friends, you know one thing that makes God very unique, the Godhead very unique? You know when they came up and they sm smoked Jesus and uh, Peter pulled out the sword? My kingdom is not of this world, John 18, verse 36. If it, if it were, you know what I could do? I could call legions of angels. I'd win this war, physical war. It'd be much easier, friends, tonight to be engaged in a physical war than it would, it's a spiritual war. A spiritual war takes everything you've got, your time, your energy, your effort, your job, everything about you. You have to engage in a spiritual warfare. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. The word of Islam has been falsely proclaimed by Muslims to mean peace. The word of Islam actually means submission. Submission to the Muslim God of intolerance and hatred. The only time throughout the year that I ever, when I do these Islam presentations, I have to keep my blood pressure down because I don't want to be like a Muslim. I know I was at a place not too long ago and a fellow told me, he said, I tell you what we ought to do. We ought to go up and down the street and we ought to pile them up and shoot them. I said, what would make us any different than them? Any different than them? That, God's people don't act like that. We win with truth. Truth has nothing to fear. 60% of all the verses in the Koran talk about jihad. Did you know, and I think I've got that tomorrow night, uh, I think I inserted that, did you know that jihad is the ultimate victory? You know, when they hijacked those planes and they were going into the World Trade Center, those people thought they were doomed to paradise. 
maybe doom is not the right word. Man, they were going to be escorted right into Paris. Killed over 3,000 people. But guess what? They believed because the Koran said they were fighting for what they believed. They were pleasing Allah and they were going to go uh, to paradise. And Mohammed to make war on the unbelievers. Oh, prophets, strive hard against the unbelievers and these hypocrites and be firm against them. Their abode is hell and even refuge indeed. The unbelievers, that's you, that's me. Notice, slay aggressors. Surrey 2, 190. Fight in the cause of Allah. Those who fight you but do not transgress limits for Allah love not transgressors and slay them whenever you can catch them. And yet, some fellow get on TV and said, oh, we misrepresent Islam. Oh, it's really a, that's just a few, just a few, just a few. Remember what I told you last night, 23% of our world's population today are advocates of Islam, 23%. They're, they are expected to grow by 35% in the next 20 to 30 years. Somebody explain this. Muslims forced Christian to convert to Islam, then brutally behead him. A Christian man was captured by Muslims in Syria and forced him to declare the Sahadan, uh, the Sahadan, uh, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. After he stated the uh, her uh, heretical creed, they deemed him as an infidel anyway. And guess what they did? They killed him. They killed him. He's a heretic? Yes. They cited the creed? Yes. They killed him anyway beheaded him. Friends, that's repeated time and time and time again. You know, friends, the Koran is morally flawed in numerous respect. In numerous respect. I am told that we're going to put this on YouTube. And you know what's going to happen when this goes on YouTube? There will be all kinds of response in a very negative way, saying that I'm misrepresenting the Koran, that that's, not, that's just a few minority that uh, would take it to the extreme. All I'm telling you is, this is what it says in their supposedly holy book, and that's what they're practicing throughout the world, and that's the reason uh, that this world is so dangerous today. I want you to notice this. Mohammed should be subject to execution or crucifixion, those who oppose him, and the cutting off of hand and feet from opposite sides. Can you believe that? Women are treated shamefully in the Muslim religion. If a woman is guilty of ill conduct, she may be admonished or beaten in Surrey 434. Hmm. That's appealing, isn't it? The Koran Muslim actives in the West have been using the tactic of claiming they worship the same God as Christians in order to gain legitimacy and acceptance. Did you know in Boston, Massachusetts, that they had taken a local school uh, over to a, uh, a mosque and showing them how they worship? Tax dollars, local school system. If they brought them to Pippin Church of Christ, they would be an outcry. They'd be 14 lawsuits. Where is everybody at? Why are we not speaking up and speaking out? Muslims do not pray to the same God that we do as Christians. The word Yahweh is translated uh, from the transliterated from the Hebrew. And the Arabs have 365 gods, one each day for the year. But you know, Mohammed picked the popular God at that time, and it was called the Arab moon god. And I know that some of them would disagree with me, but that's exactly what happened. Muslim was a ped uh, Mohammed was a pedophile. There was a man that said that in a speech, and uh, they, he had to go undercover. They were trying to kill him. He did nothing but speak the truth. 
He, he was a pedophile. He married a six-year-old consummating the marriage when he was nine years old. He was 54. The proof is overwhelming. Mohammed performed no miracles, spoke no prophecies, died like all mortal men. But my friends, I'm going to ask you a question. Now, is there a such thing as absolute truth? Absolute, universal truth. You know what the question today is? You know what the problem today in the religious world in general? That it is said, I believe 65 to 70 percent of all religious people in America today believe that there is a God, a supreme God. But did you know that 60% of those people said that they do not believe in an absolute universal truth? So what do you have when you don't have an absolute truth? Then you have this thing of, you know, uh, no objective truth, so you can, it's just subject to change from gener generation to generation. One view is that there are no absolutes of divine reality. Those who hold this view believe everything is relative to something else, and thus there can no actual reality. Because of this, there are ultimately no moral absolutes. That's the reason in the book of Judges every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no absolute moral right or wrong. And that's the direction that we are going as Americans today. Folks that are even religious people. Even in our pews, there are people that don't really think there's absolute moral right or wrong and that God absolutely means exactly what He says. Brethren, if we absolutely believed that without a shadow of a doubt, we would turn this world upside down. And so what you get into, you get into situation ethics. If there is no right or wrong, there is no right or wrong, therefore whatever feels right, just do it. Situation ethics. And uh, my friends, that's the mentality and the lifestyle that's so devastating on our society and on our families and individuals today. Postmodernism. Postmodernism. I talked to a guy on the phone. He's here from China. He lived in China 18 years. He went to Bar Valley School of Preaching. I was supposed to be meeting with him, and he hadn't been to America in 10 years. And he just said on the phone, he said, uh, Oh, my brother. He said, America has changed. He said, I can't believe the way that we have changed. Friends, it's happened so subtle. And I'm afraid that we have become so desensitized. Who would have thought that today that homosexuality would almost just be the, the norm? Would you believe that? When I was in school at Monterey back in the 70s, I didn't know one in school. If he had or if we did, they would probably tortured him. But today, it's just a norm. I just don't understand it, friends. When you start thinking about 65% of all Americans post that they do not believe in absolute truth. Let me tell you about the God of our Bible. Psalm 119, verse 89 said, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You may not like what the Bible says, but I tell you right now, it's going to be truth whether you accept it or not. I don't care what the Muslims say or what the Baptists say or the Catholics or anybody else in this world. The fact of the matter is this book is right. That's the reason I left denominationalism about 35 years ago and wanted to just be a Christian. I'm not a Church of Christ Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to be having some kind of mandates handed down to me from a, from a college or anyone else. I'm going to do what this book says as much as I possibly can. You know why? Because that thing's settled already in heaven. Now, with that said, I want you to notice this. 
Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. In other words, John 10 and verse 35, when you look at this thing, it's kind of interesting when you look at those two. I want you to look at those two verses with me because I'm going to try to tie them together in what Jesus said. In John 10, verse 35, listen to this. As you think about what he says in relation to... If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Well, in Matthew, in John, uh, Matthew 24, 35, he says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall... The scripture can't be broken. You can argue about it. You can get upset. The fact of it is, the Bible is right. Is that not right? It's right. And it's going to always be right. God's not the author of confusion. Friends, all the confusion that we have in the world and even in the church today, don't blame it on God. God's given us a book that's so simple that I am told it's written on a fifth grade education. That's the level. What it is, we have got our preconceived ideas and we listen to stuff like this. We dabble into this kind of thing. We order that junk on TV, try to enhance our Christianity, and all we've got to do is just get into God's beautiful book and read it and study it and meditate and obey it, and we can draw close to God. I hope tonight you don't think that I've been too harsh, too mean. I'm getting ready to close this, but I do want to say this. I asked you last night, friends, we need to pray for America. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for the Lord's church. You love the church with all your heart and your soul. And your Man, I love the church of Christ. I love it. I want to do all I can to promote love, harmony, and goodwill, and unity in the Lord's church. I want to stand for truth, nothing more, nothing less. You know why? Because John 12, 48 says, I'm going to be judged by it. Now, what I've done tonight, I've taken the Koran and I've compared it and contrasted it with the Bible. You know, you can do that with any creed book, any man's opinion, and you can compare it with what the Bible says. And friends, if you do what the Bible says, you can't go wrong. When I had the debate, I wasn't a debater. You've got to be mean to be a debate. You've got to be knowledgeable. I, I don't have those qualifications. I can tell you one thing. I had the determination, I want to stand up for what's right. We live in a society, friends, that too much of our preaching, too much of our teaching is sugar-coated. We're not preaching and teaching, uh, thus saith the Lord, and preaching with courage and boldness and trying to point people to the cross and to Jesus where salvation can be found. Oh, it's so needed. Courage. Standing up for what's right. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, I promise you, the God of heaven... The Word of God is right, contains no error, absolute truth. You'll be judged by it. You can go to heaven tonight. Well, maybe not tonight, but you can have the assurance of going to heaven by doing His will. Would you repent of your sins, confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and be baptized? I know there are some here tonight that's come to hear Islam, and maybe you don't even believe that you have to be baptized. I'd be delighted to sit down and study with you and talk to you about these very simple truths. I don't want to spend all of my time and energy trying to teach what the Bible says and get it wrong. I want to make sure I'm right. I change once, I'll change again. If you'll show me in the Bible what I have taught or what I'm teaching is absolutely contrary to His will. Not your opinion, but what the Bible says. If you need to come back home, would you come while together we stand as we sing?